Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We're going to be looking at Jude. One, it's one chapter, right? So we're going to start at verse 8. We're going to do 8, 9, and 10. See where we get. Wanted to say a special welcome to our visitors. And if this is maybe your first or second time at All Saints, do you mind waving at me just so we can see your lovely hand, your lovely face? Welcome to All Saints. We're glad you're here. Hopefully you got to meet and greet some some people. Here at All Saints, we're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. It was great to hear from the team. Went to Macedonia, Macedonian church planters, ministers here. Glad that you're here. It's important to be involved in the local church and then the international church, what God is doing all over the planet. He's the Lord of the nations, isn't he? Jesus is Lord. That's why we're here. So we're in part three in this short series on the book of Jude. And we noted from the first day that it's one of the most neglected New Testament books. And we're trying to address that because it is rich. And there are layers of richness and meaning and truth. I was just talking with John Reiner. John and Darcy Reiner are here today. Some folks that have been with us, and we were talking about how relevant this message is. We looked in week one, if you remember back, a few weeks ago. We looked at some of the background information, the outline of the book, the overall message of Jude. I was going to ask you what it was, but there it is. The overall message of Jude is contending for the faith. We looked at the first four verses. Almost sounded like a Star Wars sound effect back there. I'm guessing, I just pictured what that was. Was that a a cup rolling down? All right, that's what I thought. Sounded like someone powering up the Millennium Falcon or something. Anybody else hear that? It was, you going somewhere over there? So we looked at the first four verses. Jude, the brother of Jesus, the brother of James, looks at the church and he says, you're called, you're beloved. He calls them beloved three times. In this short letter, he says, you're kept for Jesus Christ. Then we saw last week that Jude, like Jesus, is addressing false teachers. We're going to see today false prophets. And he's saying, like Jesus, beware. Be aware. Have your eyes open. Be vigilant. But Jude doesn't just do that. We've seen that he's unmasking the false teachers and false prophets, isn't he? He's unmasking them so that the church can see them. They've tried to infiltrate this local church. And he doesn't just leave it at unmasking them and calling them to beware and be aware. But he says you actually also have to contend for the faith. You have to build yourself up in your most holy faith. You have to pray in the spirit. And we're going to see him do that. But we're in the the body of the letter right now at verse 8. 
And we saw last week, again, I'm just trying to do a little bit of review because it's kind of all intertwined, isn't it? And if you look up here, we're at verses 5 through 16, looking at Jude warning and unmasking these false teachers, what they're saying and who they are. And we looked last week noting that Jude likes groups of three, doesn't he? So we saw last week he gave three Old Testament types or examples of God's judgment on false teachers. And we saw Jude had a reflex. He had a response to these false teachers and that was open the Bible. We saw that. That's Jude is seeing this happen in this local church these people that are pretending to be Christians and they're coming in, they're infiltrating the church with subtle false teaching, a new spin on grace that leads to sexual immorality. And then another thing is they're denying the Lordship of Jesus. Those are two things that he's gonna be hitting at and reminding. And today we're going to see another set of three things. We've got to finish verse eight though. Three Old Testament types. Do you remember them from last week? The people coming out of the land of Egypt, the angels, the fallen angels, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. And today we're going to see him wrap up that section at verse eight. And then we're going to look at three more Old Testament types. I've been rather ambitious and I've thought, man, let's try to cover six to eight verses. And oh my goodness, there's so much here that we're just gonna take our time. Is that okay with you? I'd rather less is more in this case. So Lord, as we read these verses, as we look to your word as Jude did and as Jude called the first century church to open the scriptures, we open the scriptures, Lord. And we ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things and who glorifies Jesus. We welcome your ministry, Holy Spirit, through the word of God. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So I'm gonna read at verse eight. I'm gonna read eight, nine, and 10, make some comments there, and then we'll see how far we get with the remaining verses, 11 and 12. Sound good? Okay, so at verse eight, Jude eight. Yet in the same way, these dreamers, and he uses the word these and those and them. He's pointing them out, these dreamers, these false teachers, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they slander the glorious ones. We're gonna go back and look at what that means. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people slander whatever they do not understand and they are destroyed by those things that like irrational animals, they know by instinct. Lord Jesus, help us understand this. It's pretty interesting stuff here, isn't it? We're seeing another set of three here and we're seeing him give an interpretation of what he's been saying in the previous verses. Let's start with this first thing. He's calling these false teachers dreamers. And what he's suggesting by that is that these false teachers, you remember they've crept into the church and we're gonna see that they've actually crept into the very Lord's Supper and engaging in table fellowship with the people. These are camouflaged, cunning people who've come into the church. And he calls them dreamers. And so, these folks that were coming into the church with false teaching about grace, 
that led to sexual immorality and denying the lordship of Jesus. They were rebellious at heart. They claim special revelation. And so he's saying these people, these false teachers that are coming in and creeping in and trying to teach you something that cuts against the grain of the teaching of Christ and the apostles, they say that they have dreams and visions from God. They do not. It's another source. It's not the Lord. And so he's saying this claim to special revelation actually leads to fleshly lust, rejecting authority, and slandering the glorious ones. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But friends, we here believe in the work of the Spirit, don't we? And we talk about it time and time again, just about every time we're together, the primary way that God speaks to his people, to his church, is what? Tell me. Through the word of God, the written word of God, Holy Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole counsel of God. And that is what Jude has called the church to do then. And what the Holy Spirit calls us to do now is contend for the faith the body of truth in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the teachings of Christ, the teaching of the apostle, apostles, anything that counters that or does not line up with the plumb line of scripture is out. And so Jude is saying, some of the things that they're making claim to are out. They do not line up with the teachings of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which was scripture for them at the time. And friends, we want to be a Holy Spirit church. We're people of the word, people of the book, aren't we? At the same time, we're people of the Holy Spirit. And so we're seeing the way that Jesus did it, the way the early church did it. They were people of the scriptures and people of the Holy Spirit. Now this requires that we have discernment, doesn't it? And that's what Jude is calling us to do. So we measure and evaluate everything. Every dream, every vision, every word from the Lord that someone claims, we say it has to line up with scripture. If it doesn't, it's hamburger helper. It's out. We throw it in the sink. It is not the word of God, right? It's a mixture of some kind. And so I wanted to share because I think what helps make this concrete is current examples. And we've been looking at current examples, haven't we? I've mentioned them, and we've talked about not being in a culture war. We're not engaging as a church in culture wars. We're engaged in kingdom battles. And so I try to give examples that are specific because we're all kind of inundated with the culture war, aren't we? But we're kingdom people. Jesus is Lord, we're in his kingdom. And so I wanna share an example of something that's happened with me in recent years that ties directly into this notion of someone bringing false teaching who's claiming dreams and visions and special revelation. I actually sat with someone who was claiming special revelation and they were saying that as they were reading their Bible, that the Lord was revealing to them in a unique way things about the Gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as this person began to explain what they were saying, I had alarm bells going off, saying this is not 
the, this does not line up with the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and the church for the last 2,000 years. So I sat and listened. And basically what it was, was as this person's reading the gospels, they believed that they had a revelation from God that there were scriptures that were pre-cross or pre-crucifixion of Jesus and those that were post-cross, post-crucifixion of Jesus. And so I was sitting there going, what does that even mean? And so I asked for examples. And one example was the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was pre-cross and it happened before the crucifixion of Jesus. So there were things in the Lord's Prayer that were not binding on the church now. What do you think about that church? When you hear something like that, I, pre-cross and post-cross is not what we read in the scriptures. I don't find it anywhere, and then I don't find it anywhere in the orthodox teaching of the church, the consensus of the church for 2,000 years. So I listened on and asked questions and was deeply troubled. And so that's false teaching. That's an example of a way to read the Bible and kind of overlay an understanding that makes no sense. And so I give that example because it's pertinent. I experienced it and it's kind of swirling around in church culture now. We've talked about hyper grace as well. We've talked about a number of things. And so we want to have our Bibles open. We want to read the scriptures every day. We want to immerse our minds and our hearts and pray the Bible. Listen, I'm not calling us to be the heresy police. All right, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying, okay, all saints, let's make sure that we're the heresy or false teaching police. You don't hear me saying that, I hope. I'm calling us to be vigilant. And just like Jude said, we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints the Old Testament, all of the Gospels, not part of it. This person went on to say that part of the problem with the Lord's Prayer was asking forgiveness, that we don't need to do that anymore. We receive forgiveness because Christ has died and shed his blood and made forgiveness available. So we don't have to ask for it or plead for it or repent in any way. I just totally disagree. And I brought up the point, not only do I disagree, and I can't find that anywhere in the history of the church, as you look at the early church fathers and people that devoted their entire lives to studying scripture, I don't see anything that says pre-cross and post-cross. Matter of fact, I see them teaching on the Lord's Prayer as one of the greatest prayers given to the church for all time until Christ returns. And I also said, we do ask forgiveness until Christ returns because we don't beg for it. We don't say, oh Lord, I'm terrible, forgive me. We repent. And you look at the last book in the Bible, Revelation, and in Revelation, the crucified, resurrected Jesus calls the church to repentance. So how in the world, it doesn't get any more post-cross than the book of Revelation. So the truth is the church for all time until Christ returns is called to live a lifestyle of repentance and to receive the forgiveness 
of God that comes through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We don't have to beg and plead, and, but we still ask for it, and we still repent, and we make things right with God and with one another. Amen? So I'm dwelling with this for a minute because I think it's critically important as we move forward in the coming days that we're prepared for those things. There are, I mentioned it last week, there are all kinds of winds of doctrine that are blowing in our culture and they're blowing through the church and some people are falling for it. Some people are opening their lives up to it. They're reading troubling stuff that cuts against the grain of the teachings of scripture, the orthodox teaching of the church for 2000 years. So I wanna call it out. I wanted to do this for a moment as well. Again, we read the scriptures It's incredibly practical. And Jude has already said, I'm calling the church to anchor itself in the word of God. And so I wanted to take something for a moment here that's a helpful tool that I wanna encourage you to think about. I wanna encourage you to write it down or put it in your phone. A way to evaluate and assess a teaching idea like the one I just shared with you. And this is called the quadrilateral, okay? Which means a four-sided wall. And someone has attributed this to John Wesley, the great Anglican theologian and revivalist who loved the local church and was a big part of the Church of England experiencing renewal a couple hundred years ago. And people have read his writings and said, we see in John Wesley a very helpful tool, and it's called the quadrilateral, a four-sided wall that guards and protects the truth once we're all delivered to the saints. And the first thing is scripture. Let's put that slide up there. I want you to see it. You see it there? Scripture's down at the bottom. It's the foundation. And scripture is obviously the written word of God. It's the record of God's saving work in Christ. And it is the primary source, isn't it, for all churches for all time. Some people call it the norming norm. It is the norm that evaluates all of the other sides here. A second thing, if you look here, and again, I want this to be practical. As, as you move forward in the world and you're seeing things swirl around, I want you to think about scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Tradition's a second thing. In some Protestant cir- circles, this is a, a questionable word, isn't it? But it's actually an amazing thing. It's a gift to the church. It's the remembered word of God. It entails the apostles' teaching, handed down through classic creeds, like the Apostles' Creed. Through the councils of the church for the first 700 years, they were articulating who Christ was, how to worship God as Holy Trinity, these kinds of things. That's part of the beautiful, deep-rooted tradition that the church has had for 2,000 years. And good tradition is wonderful. Bad tradition like that, that Jesus confronts the pharisaical tradition that didn't line up with scripture, it's bad, all right? But there is good tradition. Tradition, I like how someone says this, is scripture applied to life? Let's say that together. Scripture applied to life. That is what good tradition is. And we have 2,000 years of it. 
So this dear person that I was sitting across from, I was trying to say, I don't find that in scripture, nor do I find it in tradition. The church's tradition of applying scripture to life and recording it so we don't have to reinvent the wheel, we have deep roots, I don't find it in scripture or tradition, right? A third thing, God gave us a brain, right? And my goodness, in this contemporary culture, it is like common sense is out the window, isn't it? I mean, there are many times I wanna tell political people, religious people, people in general, would you use your brain for goodness sake? Part of being made in the image of God is he's given you reason and rationality and common sense. What you're saying does not make sense. Amen? And so part of being a Christian, part of being rooted in the scriptures, in the good Christian tradition that's given to us is we use our minds. And if you are in a church circle at any point where they devalue the use of your mind or your intellect or your common sense, there should be a a red flag waving. Here at All Saints, we use our minds and our brains. Amen? You agree? Now, it's faith and reason working together, but reason gives us the word made intelligible. We've got the written word, we've got the remembered word through tradition and through reason, we have the word made intelligible. I love this quote from an early church father. He died in about 240. Listen to what he said. God is rational and reason was first in him. You wanna know who has the greatest mind in the whole cosmos? It's God. So all rationality, all clear-sightedness, all common sense flows from the Father. Amen? The last thing, what do you see there? And it's not at the top because it's a priority. It's just a four-sided wall here. It's experience. So as we contend for the faith, as we call out and resist and refuse and root out false teaching, experience is another thing that we appeal to and that we live in. And it's the personally experienced word. The personally experienced word. Now, experience means many things, doesn't it? But Wesley and others have said this. When we worship, we live, we serve in community. We are connected with worshipers for 2,000 years. Did you know that? So when we gather together on a Sunday, We worship in song, we open the scriptures, we continue to worship through that, we worship through sacrament, through the Lord's Supper, through baptizing new people into the community. Then we have a ministry time at the end. We are connected with the experience of the saints for 2,000 years. Isn't that glorious? So we're not doing anything new. Actually, we're doing what the church has done for 2,000 years, and that's a good thing. That's what Jude keeps alerting the church to. If someone comes in and they're doing something completely new or they have a new insight or a new spin on grace, you should automatically begin to scratch your head and go, nah, I don't think so. 
new and novel ideas are problematic, and so we use this. Is that helpful? I hope it's helpful, and I would encourage you, if you want to get online and read more about it, you can read about the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Now, let me just recommend a name, O-D-E-N, Thomas Oden. Will is smiling at me because he's been reading Thomas Oden, and he is a gift to the church. He's with the Lord now, but he used this especially to train and mentor young teachers and leaders in the church and call them to guard and preserve the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostles. He writes the best stuff on the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Thomas Oden, O-D-E-N. Okay, how are we doing? We are seeing that Jude is informing us. He's unmasking these infiltrators of the church and he's giving us incredibly practical advice. We're gonna look at verse nine and 10, then we're gonna call it a day, all right? Because as I read that, did any of you, as I read about the, angel Mark, uh, the archangel Michael contending with the devil, did anyone else besides me say, where is that in the Bible? Anybody else have that? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So it automatically opens up. This is another reason that people would avoid Jude is because how in the world do you explain to the church when they gather together for worship, why would Jude include this? And friends, let me give you the truth. We don't know why. We don't know why. You can read great commentaries, and I've been doing that. I've been tried to, trying to read some of the early church fathers and some of the really good contemporary commentaries, and none of them can say, you know what, I knew Jude, and this is why he wrote it. We don't know. He chose to do it. Now, here's my theory, okay? This is my theory. Just like we do on Sundays when the Word of God is preached, we focus on Scripture, don't we? We focus on the Word of God. That is the primary focus. But you tell me, do teachers and preachers ever use other literature, other works, other writings to illustrate what is in Scripture? Can you think of that? Yes. So that's what we do here. We focus primarily on the Word of God. It's supreme. It normalizes and it is the norm. It's the regulator of all the other things. But we consistently, Rock did this when he was preaching, I do it, our preaching team does it, we cite other things. And so I think that's what Jude is doing here. I think he's looking at a, a work that was written in the first century. It was a Jewish work that talked about end time things. It was called Jewish apocalyptic writing and it was called the Assumption of Moses. And so Jude is pulling from this writing because it was common ground. People knew it, and he was illustrating his point, right? That's my, my argument there. And it's some strange stuff, right? Look at it. The, the archangel Michael is contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses, and Michael did not dare to bring a condemnation of slander against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So here's the point. Here is what Jude is saying. Jude is giving an example along with scripture and he's saying, look at 
the respect that the Archangel Michael had. He doesn't lean on his own authority. He's not rebellious. He's in subjection to God and he appeals to the authority of the Lord in this moment of contention with the devil. You see it? And he's saying the false teachers do the opposite. The false teachers are insubordinate. They appeal to their own authority and they're actually slandering angelic beings. They're doing some things that are incredibly disrespectful. You see it there? And we could talk about it at length, but that's essentially what's going on here. He's saying you got the bad example of the false teachers, but then I'm pointing out to you in this literature that everyone knew in the first century, an example of the archangel Michael saying the Lord rebuke you. He trusted in the Lord's authority and power. Why in the world were they disputing over the body of Moses? Again, we don't know. We don't know. If you read the assumption of Moses, the testimony of Moses, this, this work, it, it says that the devil comes and is saying Moses is a murderer and so he's not worthy of a proper burial. And so the archangel Michael steps in and says, yes, he is. The Lord rebuke you. That's essentially what's going on here. I don't want to get into it too much, but the whole point of it is that these false teachers are disrespectful. Look at verse 10. We'll end with this. Again, he's calling them out. He's saying these people slander whatever they do not understand. And church, look at this. What happens to them? What's their future? What's it say there? They'll be destroyed. So Jude wants to make it abundantly clear that these people have infiltrated the church. I want you to use scripture to view them, to call them out, to unmask them. But friends, their day of judgment's coming. And in some sense, it's not up to you to judge them or call down judgment. God has their number. God has their number. And friends, I want to say that in 2023, as we look around the madness in culture, the craziness even in the church, the changing of the Apostles' Creed, the, the removal of certain things in Scripture, God sees, God knows, and God will judge. That's what Jude is saying. And it's very sobering. It makes me want to do some evaluation and get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, whatever ways of error in me, would you do a house cleaning? Why don't we stand? Man, Jude is saying a lot, so we're lingering with this. We'll pick up at the next section next week. I love it that at this church, we can talk about some things that are really challenging. Anyone feel like you had your thinking cap on today? I definitely did. I was talking with Amanda yesterday. How in the Lord, Lord help me walk through some of this stuff, but I love it. You are thoughtful and you use your God-given intellect. You use common sense. And I'm inviting you, Sunday morning is an invitation for you to go home and dig in the scriptures yourself, right? Every day to find time for you to go and dig into the Bible. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the king, you're the Lord, you're the judge, and that everyone will give account to you one day, and we are your beloved.
clothed in Christ. We thank you for that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up, if you would. And I'm also, John and Darcy Reiner are going to get some prayer, and they're going to be up over here on my left. And so I'm going to ask some of our folks who may not even be on ministry team this morning to come and gather around them and pray and give them some encouraging words. John and Darcy will be coming over here. Wallace, do you have anything you want to pray about? We, every Sunday, you can come up and get prayer for absolutely anything, body, soul, and spirit, a need for breakthrough, but we are leaning into praying for the sick, praying for healing. Wallace. Yeah, well, I was asking the Lord what we might want to focus prayer on today. I, I was reminded of a dream I had a, a week or two ago where uh, I had a glasses case that I had on it, and it had a cross on it. And, uh, and so I felt like that it had to do with God giving new sight and giving, increasing people's sight. We prayed, we sang a lot this morning about seeing him as he is and how beautiful he is. So I feel like I'd like to focus on our eyes today, both our physical eyes. If any of you guys have any issues with eyesight or any uh, pain or disease in your eyes, we'd love to pray for that. But also if you know, if those songs that they were singing, if you're like, man, I wish I felt that way. I wish I could see God like that. We'd like to pray for you for that. All right, church, we're going to linger in the Lord's presence. Our kids are in here, so you don't have to go get your kids. We're going to worship and have some ministry. Come up and get prayer today. Respond to if Kathleen's word struck a, a chord with you. Come up and get prayer. This is an opportunity for the Lord to bring some breakthrough. All right, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, all saints. Have a wonderful week and we'll be lingering in here.